So just let me do a quick, like 30,000 foot review of where we've been over the last three weeks. We've been talking about the fact that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, is omniscient, that he knows everything, that there's nothing that he doesn't know. And so if you recall this passage just right before what I'm going to unpack today in this passage, you have the scribes and the Pharisees trying to trick Jesus. And so they ask him a question to put him in a dilemma. And Jesus never answers their question. Instead, he asks them a question. He says, well, you want to trick me? I'm going to ask you a question. Is the baptism of John of man or is it from God? And immediately he had put them into a dilemma because they knew that if they said, well, it's of God, then they'd say, well, then why? Jesus would say, then why didn't you repent with John as he preached the baptism of repentance? And if they said it's of man, he was scared or they were scared that the people loved John and they knew he was a prophet. And so that would cause an uprising. So they took the cop out answer and said, we don't know Jesus. And Jesus said, well, neither do I tell you. So at the at the beginning of verse 12, it says, and they were seeking to arrest, arrest him, the Pharisees and the scribes. But they feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. And so they left him and they went away to plot against him. I titled this message today, Show Me the Money. Show Me the Money. Let me pick up verse 13. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. Let me stop right here and explain that the they here is the Sadducees. The, the, the Sadducees are the religious uh, rulers of the day. They have authority over all religious matters um, over Jewish society and culture. And so the Sadducees had sent these two sects of people to trap Jesus. And they said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And then they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness is the inscription on this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. How many of you ever heard that before? Yeah. And then the scripture says, and they marveled at him. They marveled at him. Trial lawyers and politicians are taught early on uh, in their profession that you never ask a question that you don't already know the answer to. Because if you do that, what's going to happen is you're going to, with all likelihood, get ambushed uh, by your own question. And so they're taught early on not to do that. These religious leaders that we're about to talk about today probably should have remembered that before they asked Jesus the question that they did. And I know everyone has heard the phrase that you shouldn't mix politics and religion. Yet in our text today, Jesus does exactly that. And so from our text today, regardless of what your political persuasion is, Jesus lays down a basic reality that remains applicable to every single follower of Christ, regardless of your culture, regardless of the time that you're in, and regardless of the place 
that you're in. There's an application here. I'm so glad the presidential debates are over, aren't you? Man. <laughs> this setting here today is much like a town hall meeting with the presidential debates. It's much like that. What you have is you have these leaders that come together with these carefully prepared questions that they propose or they pose to their opponent while the whole crowd is looking on in anticipation of what the answer is going to be. They listen with intent. And the opponents normally begin with disingenuous. Everybody say disingenuous. Disingenuous statements like this. You know, it's a pleasure to be here tonight and it's a tremendous honor to share the stage with my esteemed colleague. You know they're lying. <laughs> you know they're lying. It's, it's, it's a lie. It's bait. The true objective of the questions that they ask is to ask them in such a way to discredit their opponent, to goad them into responding in a manner from which they cannot recover either politically or socially. So these representatives, remember, they're representatives of the Sanhedrin, of the Sanhedrin. In this entire 12th chapter, they come to Jesus and they ask him three questions. Carl hit the first one last week. They ask him a doctrinal question about marriage. Remember that? And then you know how Jesus responded. And then later on, we're going to deal with this next week. They ask him an ethical question. And we'll see how Jesus responded to that. Today, they ask Jesus a political question. It's a question of allegiance. And here it is. Now, Jesus, tell us, is it right to pay taxes to the Roman government or should we not? Should we pay taxes or should we not? And here's why the question is such a, a political hot button. And here's what I find super interesting. The Herodians and the Pharisees were not buds. They were two warring factions. The Herodians believed that Caesar being in rule was the right thing. And so they were in league with Rome and they accepted Herod as their, as their rightful ruler in the province that they were in. The Pharisees, on the other hand, begrudgingly gave their, their devotion to Herod. They tolerated him because they had no choice. They consider him to be a, a tyrant, a usurper, merciless, usurping everything that they held uh, important in terms of spiritual authority and political authority. And so these two Jewish factions not only disagreed with each other, they did not like each other at all. And here's what they both knew. They both knew what Jesus stood for. They both knew that Jesus preached a kingdom that was not of this world. And they both knew that his followers proclaimed him to be the king of the Jews. They both knew that. And they both knew that they need to do one thing. They needed to agree that in their dislike for Jesus, that they would align themselves and they would trap him together and get rid of him. Wow. So in an alien, in, a, in an event to, in a, in a, uh, uh, in a, in a way to try to, in an effort to try to alienate Jesus and isolate him, they came into alignment together so that they could malign Jesus to get him to make a religious or political error. One of the two, it didn't matter. So, 
If we can just get Jesus to, to discredit himself religiously for supporting Herod, if we can just get him arrested by Herod for leading a political rebellion against the Roman Empire, we have him. And so they asked him about paying taxes. Now, the tax that they were talked about was a tax that was imposed on all Jews since, since Rome took over uh, the Jewish providence back in A.D. 6. They had been forced to pay taxes. So every man from the age of 14 to 65 and every woman from the age of uh, 14 to 65 had to pay one denarius, denarius uh, wages or one denarius per person, which is basically a, a person's day's worth of wages. So again, it was a question. Why are we doing this? Should we pay taxes, Jesus? So Jesus asked them for a coin. Who has a quarter in here? Anybody have a quarter? Yeah, one. First person, first person with a quarter, hold it up. Look at my wife. My helper, my help me. Of 37 years, glory to Jesus. Jesus asked them for a coin, a denarius. He says, show me the money. Whose image is on the coin? And so they give him the coin that had an image of Tiberius Caesar, who reigned uh, over the province that they were in from A.D. 14 to A.D. 37. He was the ruler of all of Rome. And the inscription on the coin was Latin. It said, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. And it had his picture on the front. And on the other side was a picture of his mom, Livy. And, and underneath Livy's picture was the inscription, high priest, that Caesar was the high priest. And this was a claim that also infuriated the Jews. So Jesus asked him, he says, whose face is on the coin? And they said, Caesar's. So he says, give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. It's his coin. It's his inscription on it. Give it back to him. On the other hand, this is the important part. He says, you give back to God what belongs to God. You give back to God literally the things that belong to God, which as we discussed last week, family, and two weeks ago, God owns everything. He owns it all. Look what David tells us in Psalms chapter 24, beginning at verse 1. He says, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord, for he laid its foundation on the seas and established its rivers. God owns it all. Everybody say everything. Everything. God owns everything. And watch this now. As followers of Jesus Christ, how many followers of Jesus Christ in the, life, in the house? Let me see your hands. Listen, as followers of Jesus Christ, he owns us. We don't even own ourselves. Look what 1 Corinthians says. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning verse 19, he says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Do you not know that you are not your own for you are bought with the price. So glorify God in your body. We don't even own ourselves. <laughs> so here's a principle from our text today. 
I'll say it twice because I didn't write it down and put it on the screen. Since we enjoy the benefits of civil government, like military police protection and civilian police protection and public utilities like sewer and water and lights and praise God for snow removal. <laughs> man, man, wow. Then we have an obligation to pay taxes for it. Don't get quiet on me now. Yeah. And so I believe what Jesus is saying here, family, is a no-brainer. He says, listen, you can be loyal to God as a follower of Jesus Christ and be a good citizen at the same time. As a matter of fact, I think our faith demands that we act as good citizens. I think followers of Jesus Christ, I'm going to tip my hand a little bit. I think followers of Jesus Christ should be the best citizens. Y'all act like, some of y'all act like you don't believe that. I said, I believe followers of Christ should make the best citizens. Amen. That's my church right there. That's what I'm talking about. So I don't want you to think for a moment that Jesus was drawing a distinction between the sacred and the secular, because in the life of, of a follower of Jesus Christ, there is no distinction. It's one and the same. So there are three realities from our text today that I want to give you. Three realities. And here's the first. Every follower of Christ has dual citizenship. Every follower of Christ has dual citizenship. I love using this illustration. That's why I asked for the quarter. We are, we, how many citizens of the United States here? Yes? Okay. If you look at a quarter, the currency of our nation, there are two symbols on the quarter. The first is the face of George Washington. The founding father of our nation, right? The father of our nation, right? Okay, on the other side is the, uh, the symbol of an eagle, right? The symbol of our nation. On this side, as, as citizens of the United States, we are saying that we are children of the United States, right? On this side, where the eagle is, it talks about citizenship. We are talking about being citizens of the United States, right? Did you know that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are also both citizens and children? Except for we don't just belong to George Washington and the United States. We belong as children to Almighty God, and we are citizens of a, of a home and a land that is not here. Amen. We're just passing through, man. We're just passing through here. We're temporary citizens. This world, praise God, is not our eternal resting place. It's not our home. But while we're here, Jesus tells us how we need to conduct ourselves with this promise of dual citizenship. He says, listen, you give to the government everything that belongs to the government and you give to God everything that belongs to God. See, as a Jew, Jesus understood that that he understood more than anyone that the Jews were God's chosen people that they were God's children and citizens of his kingdom, ultimately under his sovereign reign. But he also knew that, that he lived in Galilee, 
under the earthy rule of Tiberius Caesar, the Roman government. So, again, I'll say this again. The same applies to you and me. We're citizens and we're children of this land and another land. And God gives us a roadmap, a blueprint through his word to show us how we're to conduct ourselves in both while we are here. Amen? Amen. The most famous prayer in scripture is found in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus prays this after his disciples ask him, how should we pray, Jesus? He says, you pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. In other words, when you embrace my gospel, he's not just my father. He's your father now, too. He says, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You guys catching the picture here? Jesus prayed that prayer because he wanted us to recognize just what I told you about dual citizenship is important to him. So that's the first thing. We need to recognize that we hold a dual citizenship. That's the first reality. Here's the second one. Every follower of Jesus Christ has obligations to their government and their country. Every follower of Jesus Christ has obligations to both their government and their country. Nate, put the next slide up. Now put the next one up. You guys ever seen that before? Read it out loud together. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and We pledged allegiance to this country. Didn't we? And so as dual citizens, what we need to do all the time, and man, I'm, I'm guilty of this, Lord, but the Holy Spirit was counseling, counseling me on this all week long. We need to pray to our king and for those who lead us. We should pray to our king and for those who lead us. Look what the New Century Version says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 2 through 4, it says, pray for rulers and for those who have authority so that we can have quiet and peaceful lives full of worship and respect for God. This is good, and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and know the truth. We are to pray for those who are in position of authority over us and those who rule our nation and family. I'll be the first to admit that with the change of this administration, I haven't really been praying that hard for our president. I haven't, man. Dessie, you have? <laughs> that's, that's right. That's why you're my dad. You keep me in check. Praise God for that. I haven't. But I've been convicted this week to begin. And I want to encourage you as your pastor, you may not like who's in leadership over us, but that is all we have for the next four years. 
And that is who God has placed in that position of authority. And so we're to pray for them. Pray for them. Pray. We don't like the decisions that they make. Pray that God changes their minds and hearts. Okay, here I go. I feel, I feel my help come. I'm going to meddle a little bit. You know, we talk about the armor of God all the time, right? Put on the full armor of God. But the very thing that senses the armor and gives us the instruction on how to use the weaponry that we have is prayer. Prayer doesn't just change things. Prayer changes everything. And so why not pray for those who, who God has placed in authority over us? Amen? Amen? Now pray for your pastor so that the Lord will bring that back to my remembrance when, when I would otherwise try to complain. Amen? And I'm going to be praying for y'all too. <laughs> that you do the same. Amen? Amen. All right. Here's my third and final point, and it's a, it's a brief point. As followers of Christ, we are to be the best citizens. Obeying the laws of government that God has placed over us, that he's put in place, that he has put in place. Scripture tells us that all authority, all authority, all, everybody say all. 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 My mentor taught me that all is the inclusion of everything and the exclusion of nothing. All authority is God given. All of it. Even that boss that you don't like. That's getting on your last nerves. I stepped on somebody's toes just then, didn't I? <laughs> Even that boss you don't like, man. He or she's getting on your last nerve. Guess what? If she's an authority over you, God put them there. Ooh. I tell you, I was in a situation one time. I won't even go into it. I'll save it for another message because it is a whole new message. But it wasn't until I relinquished my will to the will of God and surrendered my rights to her authority that I watched God deliver me out of that situation that was about to drain me of every spiritual ounce of strength that I had. And I watched God take, and the scripture says this, that enemy that you see before you, he'll turn that person into a totally different person and you won't even, you'll walk in one day and that person's just as nice and you'll think it's a trap. Because listen, God can do things in the heart through the power of the Holy Spirit that we could never do. No matter how good we are, no matter how, no matter how right and how perfect we do our job, it's the Holy Spirit that deals with the heart. Man, so we got to obey those that God puts in place over us. And we need to respectfully pay what we owe others. Respectfully pay what we owe others. Anybody ever lent somebody some money and didn't get, and didn't get paid back? Amen. <laughs> Anybody ever borrowed money and never paid it back? Okay. <laughs> Look, 
Jesus says that no man can serve two masters. You're going to love one and you're going to hate the other. Isn't that what the scripture says? You cannot serve God and mammon. One of the quickest ways to get people upset at you for a long, 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 long time is to borrow money and not pay it back or to lend some money and they don't pay you back. Amen? Amen. So if you owe someone something, pay them. Amen? Yeah. And if somebody owes you something, instead of having an unforgiving heart, especially if it's been five years and you ain't heard from them, <laughs> right? Come on now, somebody. somebody I'm talking to somebody now. <laughs> Let it go. Jesus said, it's better to have your eye plucked out than to have that eye cause your whole body and soul to be tossed into hell. Didn't he say that? Let, let, let that go. Let it go. If I say, let it go. Let it go. Pay what you owe. That's the last point. In every aspect of our life. I want to close with this scripture. Mitch, if you come to the piano. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 13. And Paul writes this to us as followers of Jesus. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. And therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. You will not, listen, you will not better your situation being in rebellion. You shackle the hands of God to do things supernaturally for you, and you get your boss angry. I almost said something else, but for those of you who might not think I was saved, if I'd said it, I didn't want to offend you. You get your boss angry with you, and that does you no good because they're the ones that hold authority over you. Amen? Yeah. So they, you can incur some judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Mm. Mm. Lord, search our hearts. Show us where our hearts, where our heart might not be right towards a person. Speak to our consciousness. Holy Spirit, give us an attitude of surrenderance to you, even to those things that we've held on to for a long time, and it has eaten away at our conscience. 
Help us to surrender those things to you so that we can be made whole. Help us to forgive. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Now listen to how Paul ends this. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Stand with me if you would. What law is is Paul talking about? The law of love. Where someone came to Jesus, you're going to see it maybe next week. He says, what's what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says that you're to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. He said, and the next one is just as great. And on this one hangs all the laws and the prophet that you love your neighbor as yourself. We fulfill that law of love when we react and respond to each other in a way that glorifies God. When we love each other and love others through an act of obedience, kindness, and submission to the authority and the will of God, who I promise you, and no matter what situation you find yourself in, will give you the right thing to do if you'll just listen.